our attention this morning is the same text that we've read. That's 2 Kings chapter 25, the verses 22 through 30. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, well, we've come to the very end of the book of First and Second Kings, the kings of Israel and Judah. I don't think I, I need to remind you that it's a sad ending. Uh, I trust that's been well impressed upon you, uh, even through the reading of this text. Uh, the kingdom of God has crumbled to uh, pieces. Uh, the throne of God is gone. That's the throne of David, over which God said, I will set my king and he will reign forever. It's gone. That throne is gone. Uh, All the promises of God and the hopes and and dreams of God's people that they were going to be a nation that was going to endure and be a light to to all the nations of the world, that too, uh, by all appearances, is gone. Uh, They are gone, and they're gone by their own fault. Uh, the, the, The idolatry and unfaithfulness that we've seen almost from day one in our series in Kings, uh, that, that, that God tolerated for so many generations, has finally had its devastating toll. And the covenant and everything, by all appearances, is over. Uh, and so we should begin just by appreciating what a, what a sad and, and what a, a devastating moment this was, particularly for those who had hoped in the promises of God. And it's easy for us to look back and think, well, it's just the end of a nation, and every nation has its end. Uh, But it's so much more than the end of a nation. It's the end, as far as we can tell, of all of God's promises. Indeed, it's the end, by all appearances, of God's plan of salvation for the world. Because God had said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and by you will all the families of the earth be blessed. Well, where's that great nation? It's gone, and it's not coming back. Uh, It's the end of of God's salvation for the world by all appearances. Uh, so, So we can say this is, in a very real way, the worst moment in human history, uh, where all of God's redemptive plans were cut off. Uh, and, And we should take that to heart. Redemptive history could have ended right here. That could, have, that could have been the end. God had done His part. God had kept His side of the covenant. Uh, salvation and hope for salvation could have ended right there. Uh, the official history then, as, as we saw uh, last week, the official history of the kings uh, already ended in verse 21. Right before our text, Zedekiah, the last king on the throne of David, had his sons, the, the, the future of the kingdom, executed before his eyes. Then his eyes gouged out and him dragged off to Babylon, where, as far as we know, he, he died in obscurity. Uh, the temple, uh, the place where God had, had caused his name to dwell, was burned to the ground, uh, and the city was absolutely uh, ransacked. Uh, the, the last officials then, as we read, were also uh, herded together and massacred before the king of Babylon. And so, verse 21 concludes the history of the kingdom by saying, So Judah was taken off into exile. And that's the end of Judah. Uh, the book of Kings then ends with a sort of epilogue, 
which is our text this morning, and it's made up of, of two different events. Uh, one event takes place only a few months after the exile and the destruction of the city, and then the other event takes place almost 30 years later. Uh, so first, this, this brief account of of what happened in the land after the exile. Uh, there's a much longer version of this story in Scripture. That's, uh, you can find that in Jeremiah chapter 39 through 45. Uh, it tells that story in great detail. Uh, here we're just given the short version of, of what happened in the land. Uh, and what we, what we essentially see in these verses is a hopeless and futile attempt to kickstart the kingdom uh, back up again. Uh, And it's a hopeless, hopeless failure. Uh, It shows that the people in the land were still defiant, still rebellious, still unwilling to accept God's purposes for his kingdom. Uh, God had told them judgment is coming. God had told them it's not going to be reversed. Uh, And if you're listening to the prophets at all who were speaking in, in that time, God had told them, submit to the king of Babylon. Uh, What we see in the people of the land is that same defiant, rebellious spirit that says, no, we will establish a kingdom. We can pull this off. We don't need God's help, and we can do it in spite of God's curse. Uh, We can pull this off. Uh, So Nebuchadnezzar had appointed this man, Gedaliah, Uh, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan. And we know, especially from Jeremiah, he was a good man. He was a, a godly, uh, God-fearing man who, who served God. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar appointed him as governor of the people of the land. And, and the very first thing he does is he meets with the people of the land and he urges them, uh, in keeping with what God was saying through the prophets, uh, submit to the king of Babylon. Serve him and all will be well with you and you'll dwell in the land in peace. Uh, but the people will not have it. Uh, so some obscure member of the royal family, way out of the, the, the line of inheritance of the throne, but the only person left in the line of David uh, in the land. So this obscure member of the royal family, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, uh, decides that he's going to make a grab for the throne uh, and, and attempt to restart the kingdom with himself on, on the throne. Uh, of course, you'll have to build a new throne because uh, the, the, the Babylonians had taken the old one away. Uh, we should already know at this point, it's an absolutely vain hope. It's not going to succeed. Uh, but he goes ahead anyways. Uh, we, we know also from Jeremiah that, that this, this uh, coup was also organized in part by a couple of the surrounding nations, uh, particularly the Ammonites, uh, who were preparing to rebel against Babylon. So this Ishmael uh, apparently thought, perhaps with the help of the Ammonites, we can actually pull this off. So he's just like his forefathers, putting his trust in the powers of the nations uh, around him. Uh, So he comes and he assassinates Gedaliah, and it's almost... It's almost bizarre what happens afterwards, because the moment he kills Gedaliah, the governor appointed by Nebuchadnezzar, the people freak out, and, and they, they all flee off to Egypt, uh, as if they suddenly realized, what have we just done? Uh, and, and nobody's actually left behind to take the throne, because even Ishmael joins the people in fleeing to, to Egypt. So they kill Nebuchadnezzar's guy, and then everyone just runs away. Uh, it, it's a sort of hit and run. Uh, 
What are we supposed to learn from that event? Well, first we should recognize the people of the land are just as defiant and rebellious as ever, enough even to murder the man that God had had given them. Uh, Even the destruction of Jerusalem had not changed the hearts of God's people. And if that's not going to change their hearts, uh, surely this lesson should be impressed upon us. Uh, Nothing will except the Spirit of God Himself. That's the first lesson we should see from that event. Secondly, we should also recognize uh, that event impresses upon us the, the reality that the kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, as we know it, is over. It's not coming back. Uh, there's nothing you can do to get it back. Any attempt to restart it is, is a vain hope. Uh, God is not going to be found in that kingdom anymore. Uh, so, one more nail is driven into the coffin of, of, of Judah. Uh, not, not because we needed another nail. It was dead, and we, we, we should have recognized that, but just in case we didn't, uh, God seals the deal, uh, showing us there's not a single hope this is ever coming back. That's our first little epilogue to the book of Kings. Uh, the kingdom's not coming back. The second epilogue uh, comes 30 years later. Uh, Verse 27 says, In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, evil Merodach, uh, don't name your kids after him, uh, my personal advice, uh, in that year began to reign and graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him. And gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. Just a few uh, verses to conclude the book of Kings with that epilogue. Now you remember Jehoiachin? Uh, You probably don't. Uh, because he's not a significant figure. Uh, he's not the last king of Judah. He's the second last. He's the grandson of, jo- of Josiah. And he reigned for all of three months. Uh, which is just long enough for the Bible to tell us that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, at that time, Nebuchadnezzar uh, came up against Jerusalem, besieged it. And Jehoiachin wisely surrendered himself to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he did what uh, the next king, Zedekiah, refused to do. Uh, he, he surrendered himself so that the city could be spared. Uh, so he was taken off captive. Uh, he was thrown into a Babylonian prison. And, and that is supposed to be the last that we ever hear of him. Well, 37 years after that uh, event, Nebuchadnezzar died. And evil Morodak becomes king in Babylon. Uh, this is 37 years in which Jehoiachin somehow managed not to die in prison. Uh, can you envision 37 years of your life in prison? Uh, not to mention a prison in Babylon, uh, which is uh, not, not up to the same standards, put it that way, as, as the prisons you find uh, today. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar dies... 
And Jehoiachin is lifted up from prison. Literally, in the, in the uh, Hebrew, it says he, he lifted up his head from prison. Uh, well, I'll come back to that phrase. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting phrase. Uh, and he gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. Uh, so it says Jehoiachin put off his prison garments and dined in the presence of the king for the rest of his life. Uh, talk about uh, Psalm 23. Uh, that concludes with that statement, you, you prepare for me a table in the presence of my enemies. Uh, surely Jehoiachin could sing that psalm uh, as he was literally dining in the presence of his enemies. Well, brothers and sisters, do you see underneath, behind all of the judgment, there in the darkness of exile, do you see the love of God remembering a forgotten people? Uh, It's not, I'm not going to overstate it, it's not a bold proclamation uh, of of restoration uh, that that ends the book of Kings. God's going to start something new. It's not that. Uh, It's not an explicit statement of of future return. Uh, It's just a quiet note of hope. It's just a small reminder that even there, in the darkness and forgotten land of exile, The love of God carries on. And God does not forget those who belong to him. Now, uh, the language of of this this event that he lifted up his head from prison uh, should remind us of the story of Joseph. Uh, If you remember, Joseph was also a a slave and a prisoner uh, in Egypt for many years. And during his time in prison, uh, he he became acquainted with these two fellows, a a baker and a cupbearer, to Pharaoh. And and on one particular night, both of them had dreams. Uh, And... And Joseph interpreted those dreams, stating to both of them, both the baker and the cupbearer, God's, or, or, sorry, Pharaoh is going to lift up your heads. Uh, which, if that sounds promising, it, it was for one of them. Uh, David, uh, no, excuse me, uh, Joseph uh, explains to them that uh, Pharaoh will lift one of them, uh, his head together with the rest of him, up from prison to, to restore him to his place. The other one, uh, Pharaoh only lifted up his head. Uh, he was executed uh, in, in prison. Uh, so it, it, it's a play on words there in, in uh, Genesis. It's a, it's a common Hebrew expression meaning to restore someone, but there Joseph plays on, on those words. Uh, and, and here, uh, the text uh, reminds us of those events so that we would remember that this is the way of, of God, uh, remembering those who are lost in prison, those who are forgotten, those whose heads need to be lifted up. Uh, so in, in a sort of second round of, 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 uh, of slavery and imprisonment under a very different Egypt, Jehoiachin is lifted up and placed, like Joseph, above all of his peers at the king's table. Uh, Like Joseph, he puts off his prison clothes and he dines at the king's table. Uh, So there is a quiet reminder here that just as God a long time ago did not forget his child Joseph, his covenant child, uh, when they were sl- and the rest of his people as well, when they were slaves in Egypt, so he has not forgotten them now. Now, here's the thing: we don't know if Jehoiachin ever actually repented. 
There's, there's no indication in the text that Jehoiachin was a changed man. Nowhere does it say that. Um, he, all we know is he did do what, what uh, Jeremiah had pleaded with Zedekiah to do, which is to give himself up to the Babylonians so that the city would be, would be spared. Uh, that had happened 37 years before. But that's all we know about Jehoiachin. Uh, and, and it's not really relevant, is it? Because this, this, this epilogue is not about Jehoiachin. It's not about how good Jehoiachin was, uh, how, how, how perfect or how satisfying his repentance was. It's about how faithful God was, how good and merciful, uh, unnecessarily merciful God was. Uh, it's about the God whose love never ends, even in the darkness of an exile that is well deserved. Uh, it's, it's the love of God who does not forget his people, even as it were beyond the grave. God yet remembers. The love of God does not let go. And, and brothers and sisters, isn't that, as we wrap up the book of Kings, isn't that the story of the entire Bible? Uh, the God who remembers his mercy, even after judgment, even after death. Uh, you think of Adam and Eve cast out from the garden, and yet God makes a promise to them. He remembers his mercy. Uh, you think of uh, in, in the days of Noah, God saying, uh, the sin of man has reached its fullness. Uh, the, the thoughts of man are only evil all the time, uh, such that God chooses to wipe them out with a flood. And then God remembers his mercy and saves Noah and his family. Now, you think of, uh, as well, with Abraham. Uh, Abraham, who, who is described in Scripture as an idolatrous and unbelieving man uh, during the time that he lived in Ur. And yet, God calls him out uh, to be a new, uh, a new kingdom. Uh, the Bible is the story of God's constant faithfulness, His unfailing, steadfast love, even after judgment, time and time again. Uh, this book, then, at the end of the day, is not here to highlight our successes or our accomplishments. Uh, it's not to, uh, to show us the best that man can be, except insofar as it shows us that the best man can be is not nearly enough. It's here to show us the faithfulness and the mercy of God. Uh, the God who makes promises that he never needed to make. God never had to make any of those promises, but once he's made them, he keeps them for his own name's sake, even when we, for our part, fail time and time again. Uh, we've been reminded over and over here in the book of Kings of God's promise to David. Uh, that one gets highlighted over and, and over again. Uh, and, and the amazing thing is when God makes these sorts of promises, uh, he remembers them and he keeps them. And he keeps them not because he has any obligation left to us, but because he has an obligation left to himself. Uh, he, he bound himself for his own name's sake to his promises, such that he keeps his promises for his own name's sake. Uh, so it is then that the book of Kings ends on a quiet note of hope. Now, it's still going to be another 33 years 
before anything else happens. Now, behind the scenes, Jeremiah uh, is, is prophesying to uh, the people who are left in the land uh, and, and prophesying that that exile is going to carry on for 70 years. Uh, and and he's, as, he's also urging the people in Babylon uh, to, to live in peace uh, with Babylon, to pray for the good of the empire because you're going to be there for a while. Uh, Ezekiel, as well, is, is a prophet ministering to the exiles there in Babylon. Uh, we also know of Daniel as serving in the, in the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and, and then in 538 B.C., the Persian king Cyrus issued the first decree that the exiles should return. And amazingly, among those exiles was a certain Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Jehoiachin, who became the governor in the land. Now, not king. doesn't say king. The governor of the land. The old kingdom is not coming back. But we see God preparing the scenes to build something new, something better. Uh, and so when we come 400 years later to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, you read there in the lineage of Joseph uh, that goes back to Abiud, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Jehoiachin, that obscure king who was left in prison and then by God's grace restored. Uh, By the time we get to Joseph then, uh, the line of David had been utterly obscured. Uh, It didn't even matter to the Jews who was of the line of David or not uh, because it it was uh, totally uh, obscure. Uh, Judah was was ruled by Herod, an Edomite. uh, And yet we recognize even in that time, 400 years later, There's a promise God had not forgotten, his promise to David, and he keeps it in Joseph and in his adopted son, Jesus. So now, as we finish our journey through the book of Kings, uh, which uh, I I hope has been a discouraging journey, if if we're of the inclination to put our trust in in the power and wisdom and strength of man. Uh, If that's us... Uh, hopefully this has been sufficiently discouraging uh, for us uh, because none of the kings who have come have lived up to our hopes and dreams. Uh, but we close this book reflecting on the unconditional love of God who remembers his people even when they forget him, who remembers his love again and again, a love that does not let us go And we recognize all of this book then looks forward to the coming of Christ. If every king has failed, uh, hopefully they have together served uh, to point us, uh, to point our hopes to a king who's much better, who's much different, a king who is God himself. uh, Because that's the only kind of king that's ever going to bring in the kind of kingdom that we need. Uh, every failed king has, has served then to remind us of our need for Christ uh, and for the kingdom of God to come through Christ. Uh, the, the righteousness that we would love to see established in our land today. Uh, the justice that we, would lo- that we would love to see become part of our laws in our land today. Uh, and the peace, the, the peace that we would love to see uh, between uh, our land, between the church and God, uh, will only come through the Son 
of David, Jesus Christ. He and only He, through the spread of His gospel and the power of His Spirit, uh, transforming our hearts through His Word uh, and building His church, that's the only hope that we will ever get the kind of kingdom that we've been trying to get throughout the book of Kings. Uh, that's the only kind of, uh, of king and kingdom that gets us that, that shalom, uh, that peace that Israel has been waiting for and that our entire world so desperately needs. Uh, so as we look back then over the reigns of the kings, uh, it's my prayer that this would give us a, a deeper appreciation for the King Jesus and a better understanding of the depth of the brokenness of this world from which Jesus came to save us. Uh, the, the sinfulness of these kings is here to show us how badly we need King Jesus. Uh, and, and the failure of this kingdom is here to show us how badly we need Jesus to be our king and his his kingdom, uh, to be the kingdom uh, established on, on this earth. As we've examined these, these uh, then 500 years of Israel's history, that's about the time frame of, of the book of Kings, uh, we see human failure on display just over and over, and we see God's faithfulness, God's love, and God's commitment on display over and over. Uh, we've seen God, uh, for example, gathering a community of believers in the days of, of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, we've seen God, uh, wherever we've seen examples of faith, it's God instilling that faith in men like Hezekiah and Josiah. Uh, or, or God's work in the hearts of the, the common people as well, uh, like the Shunammite widow uh, in, in Elijah and Elisha's days, or the high priest Jehoshaphat and his wife uh, Jehoshaphat. Or excuse me, the high priest Jehoiada and his wife Jehoshaphat, as they rescued uh, the baby king Joash. That too, we see in that the work of, of God in the hearts of his people. Uh, we've seen kings do, do right a few times in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, we've seen kings do evil plenty of times in the eyes of the Lord. And we've also seen a, a good many kings that, that hung out somewhere in the middle in, in the way of compromise, uh, doing a little bit of what's right, but not with all their heart. Uh, and yet underneath it all, and, and, and behind it all, one thing we've seen that has remained constant is God staying true to his promises. God remembering the promise to David and preparing the scene for Christ. And then finally, as we've examined these 500 years of, of Israel's history from David to Jehoiachin, we've hopefully also been reminded this is our story as well. Yes, we live in a different chapter of this story, but it is the same story of God's redemption. Uh, in our chapter, Christ has come. Christ is, is reigning. Christ is building his kingdom and, and his church. And we have the privilege of being a part of it. But the challenge is put out to us as well. Uh, there's only two kinds of kings here. Those who trusted in God, not finding their strength in him. And those who, who looked for their strength in themselves and served their own kingdoms. Which kings, which queens will we be in our chapter of this story. Uh, to you young people in particular, uh, the book of Kings poses a challenge about your legacy. What legacy will you leave behind? Uh, since you have the privilege of being part of the kingdom of Christ, uh, what kind of queen or king 
will you be? Uh, what kind of legacy will you leave behind? Will it be one of, of trusting him day by day, of finding your hope and your strength in him? Uh, or will it be one, we've seen too many kings like this, of pursuing your own kingdom and ultimately betraying his kingdom? Now, we've seen both kings uh, here in this book. We've seen legacies of faith and trust in God resulting in lives that are lived to God's glory uh, in the service and growth of his kingdom. And we've seen legacies of selfishness, of, uh, of short-sightedness and worldliness uh, leading to destruction and disaster. Now, because you are united to Christ, you have uh, received grace upon grace. That is your status uh, as, as one belonging to Christ. Will your life bear witness to that grace? Uh, will your legacy bear witness to that grace? Uh, will it be a legacy of faith uh, and, and service in the kingdom of Christ, live to the glory of of, of God and the building of his kingdom, or will it be a legacy of, of compromise? Uh, to all of us, to, a, to our young people in particular, that challenge is laid before us by the book of Kings. Every time we get that evaluation, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. That challenge is laid before us. Now, we can be Manassas, uh, who, who, who lived a life that was utterly destructive and brought the kingdom to the point of, of ruin, uh, who, who, who did repent at the end of his life, but it doesn't help his, his legacy that he left behind. Uh, I trust that's not the legacy you want to leave. Uh, let it be instead that since you've been given a new name, a new future, a new hope, May your legacy also be a new kind of legacy, one of faith and service in the kingdom that's been, brought, uh, that's been bought for you by the blood of Christ. Uh, to those of us as well who are uh, even in our middle ages, uh, do not forget, the book of Kings would remind us, do not forget the legacy of the second half of your life. Uh, it goes both ways. There, there are Solomons uh, who, who did well, in the first half of their lives, and then made an absolute train wreck of, of the second half of their lives. Now, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. And there are Josiahs, whose beginnings are marked by compromise, but whose ultimate legacy is one of faith, repentance, and trust in Christ. Uh, those who found the word of God and trembled at it and repented and changed course in the middle of their lives. And let's face it, there are also Ahabs. There are Ahabs in our day as well who live for their own kingdom, uh, who find themselves uh, opposed over and over and over again to the kingdom of God, who, who, who marry ungodly Jezebels, uh, who let her call all the shots and who refuse to intervene. Uh, who grieve, yes, when they're rebuked by the word of God, but whose grief is nothing but a worldly grief, not leading to repentance. Those exist too. There are also Jehorans, uh, the, the Jehoram being the son of, of Ahab and Jezebel, who outwardly are allied to God and his prophets, but inwardly committed to their own kingdoms, and, and who find that breaking point later in life uh, when, when trials come, and then they throw up their hands and say, well, why should I serve God any longer? Those exist too. Uh, there are Jehoshaphats, righteous kings, 
but who make foolish decisions, foolish alliances uh, that cost them their legacy. Or, or there are Joashes uh, who, who do the right thing so long as their, their dad or their guardian is around, uh, but who never make their father's faith their own faith. Uh, a reminder that being born and raised in the kingdom of God is no guarantee of a good life and, and legacy. Uh, those who think that, that busyness in church affairs, which is certainly Joash's legacy, uh, somehow gets to be a substitute for true obedience and faith, uh, which it doesn't. There are also Menahems. Uh, that's the last king of, of Israel. Wicked men who just make a joy ride out of, out of a life of, of evil and cruelty, hurtling towards hell with no hope uh, in the world uh, and, and just seeking to cause as much destruction and damage on the way down. Those do exist as well. Uh, there are Ahazes, uh, who are uh, the intellectuals who crave uh, their status and standing and importance on the world scene, but who compromise their faith and who imitate the world. And and there are Zedekiahs, uh, the cowards, uh, who fail in their most basic duty to protect and provide uh, for those in their care. Uh, Selfish men who sacrifice uh, those that they are called to protect in order to save their own skin, uh, whose stories always end the same. uh, uh, They are humiliated and they uh, they are ruined. Every time, then, we hear of an evaluation of a king uh, who did right, who did evil, uh, or who did right but not with all his heart, we're faced with the same question. What legacy do we leave behind? Now, we've been bought by the blood of Christ. We've been brought into his kingdom. We have a good standing in the eyes of God. Will we live out of that grace? Uh, Will we be the people that God has made us by His grace to be. Uh, The the path to being that is not a path to pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's not the message of kings. It's not try harder, do more. It's will you trust the Christ that has saved you, that has bought you? Will you live a life of faith by His Spirit and His power living out of the grace that's given to you? That's the question that's posed before all of us. Uh, In Christ, uh, we are reminded there's forgiveness, there's hope and restoration for every king, every queen bought by his blood. There's mercy and compassion from a God whose love never ends. And there's a call to us uh, now, serve this God and join his kingdom for the building of his, uh, for, for, for the proclaiming and establishing of his honor and glory. That's the call that now lays in front of us. Amen. Let's respond to the word of God.